Chapter 8 of The Toscan of Revolt and Other Essays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carla Patton. The Toscan of Revolt and Other Essays by Brander Matthews. Chapter 8 The Length of Cleopatra's Nose. Part one. one of the best known and most frequently quoted of the thoughts of Pascal calls attention to the way in which a little thing may have great consequences. He who wants to fully understand the vanity of man has only to consider the causes and the effects of love. The cause is, I know not what, and the consequences of it are frightful this i know not what so trivial that it can scarcely be recognized moves all mankind kings and armies and the entire social organization the nose of cleopatra if it had been shorter the history of the world would have been changed although cleopatra was the serpent of the old nile she was not an egyptian but a greek she was a hyphenated queen, which is what queens usually are. Even if Mahaffey was right in holding that the Greeks were not really as superior to us in physical beauty as the surviving statues might lead us to believe, she may have had more than her share of good looks, which must have been not uncommon among the Hellenic people, as she was a Greek she probably did not have a roman nose indeed her nose may have been tilted like the petal of a flower which would not have diminished her fascination but whatever the shape or the length of her nose pascal is justified in believing that if it had been unduly short she would probably not have descended the corridors of time as the heroine of the most disastrous of historic love stories she might then have floated down the river in her glittering barge without finding mark antony at her feet when she stepped ashore if mark antony had escaped the corals of the egyptian serpent he might not have lost the battle at actrium and if he had vanquished the young octavius Mark Antony might have been the founder of the Roman Empire. But Mark Antony was unfit for the appalling task of solidifying a realm on the verge of wreck. He was too impetuous and too fickle, too emotional and too uncertain. He lacked the self-restraint, the caution, and the astute statescraft of the Augustus who laid solid the foundations of rome's imperial grandeur even if mark antony had made himself master of the mediterranean lands and if he had ruled as long as he lived it is unlikely that he would have governed wisely and after his death chaos would have come again the empire would not have been skillfully bustrous and its outlaying territories 
would not have been unified with Rome and grateful for the three centuries of assured prosperity which followed the advent of Augustus. When the time was fulfilled, the gates of the empire would not have been guarded and the barbarians would have broken in. There would have followed swift disintegration and destruction and there would have been no lingering decline and no long deferred fall for Gibson to chronicle and to illuminate. Then we moderns would not have come into the heritage upon which our civilization is based. It is very lucky for us today that the nose of Cleopatra was of normal length and that the frightful consequences of its possible abbreviation were avoided. If it had been shorter, it would have changed not only her face, but the face of the world in this 20th century. Yet I may venture to hint a doubt whether Cleopatra's nose or Cleopatra herself had really the immense importance that Pascal asserted. It is true that the captivating queen of Egypt was Antony's evil genius and that she was responsible for his ignominious defeat. But if we look a little longer and a little deeper, we are likely to conclude that Antony's fatal weakness was in himself. In his unstable character, in his lawless and lustful temperament, if he had never lain eyes on Cleopatra, the ultimate result might well have been the same. She was not the only charmer of her time, even if she might be the most dangerous. There were others, and any one of them could have lured the unstable Roman to his allotted doom. More than one later writer has applied Pascal's thoughts to other historical events. Among them was Eugene Scribe, most adroit of playwrights. Even if he was devoid of the ample vision of the more richly endowed dramatist, one of his most ambitious and most ingenious comedies is A Glass of Water, or Great Effects from Little Causes. It dealt not with Queen Cleopatra of Egypt, but with Queen Anne of England, and it aroused the heir of Thackeray, who was in Paris when it was originally presented in 1840. Thackeray was then only a hard-working journalist, contributing to the heterogeny of magazines. He took this play of scribes as the text for a paper on English history and character on the French stage. He expressed his disapproval of scribes' assumption that the historical trophies of England are generally the result of some mean accident which entirely strips them of their ideal glory. After analyzing the French piece, the English critic asserted that Scribe was wrong in his general principle, since trivial consequences are in this life pretexts, not causes, for breach of long-established connections. They are the readily available facts which discover the depth of an existing difference. They are the seized to decide an already impending rapture. In other words, the little things which sometimes seem so significant is only what the physicians call an exciting cause. Always far less important 
than what they term a predisposing condition. The last straw does not break the camel's back unless that patient beast is already laden to the limit of endurance. The slight pressure on the hair trigger which fires the gun does not load the weapon or aim it. Part 2 But even if little things are unlikely to have great consequences, there are often remote causes not immediately apparent to those who contemplate their ultimate results. I remember a whimsical suggestion in a book by one of Darwin's disciples. Although I cannot now recapture the title of the volume or the name of its author, to the effect that the sturdy staunchness of the British army, the stubborn resistance of the thin red line, was due to the prevalence of spinsterhood in great britain to the fact that the women outnumbered the men the explanation of this paradox is to be found in a sequence of causes and consequences the british soldier is nourished on beef and the quality of the beef is due to the abundance of clover which needs to be fertilized by bees but bees cannot multiply and live unless they are protected against the field mice which destroy their broods and ravage their reserves of honey the field mouse can be kept down if there are only cats enough to catch them and cats are the favorites of the frequent old maids of england these lonely virgins keep pets who prevent the mice from despoiling and destroying the bees so clover flourishes luxuriantly and the cattle wax fat to supply the soldiers of the king with their strengthening rations for another illustration of a remote cause having a most unexpected consequence i am able to give chapter and verse in sir martin conway's brilliant discussion of the domain of art he tells us that the beautiful costumes of the cavaliers of england as we see them in van dyck's portraits owe their chief embellishment to the hardy mariners who ventured into the stormy waters near spitzbergen an interesting example of the reaction of invention or discovery upon one of the arts of life came recently under my observation and is perhaps worth a brief digression to record in the process of conducting in the public office researches into the history of spitzbergen and of the english and dutch welling industries on its coast i was struck by the numerous documents relating to soap that i kept encountering on looking more closely into the matter it presently appeared that the chief use to which well oil was put was the manufacture of the better class of soaps such as was used in fine laundry work carmina old-fashioned soaps being made out of rapeseed when it is bore in mind that before the beginning of the english well fishery on the spitzbergen coast about sixteen ten there was practically no well all brought into england the relative dearth of good soap in tridor days may be deduced improved laundry work followed the well fishery hence the relative small rifts that we see in Tridor portraits and the small amounts of linen displayed. Jacob Bean portraits show more linen and lace. Portraits of the time of Charles are yet more. As I transcribe this passage, 
due to sir martin's researches into the history of art and to his own exploration of spitzbergen i am reminded of a chat that i had one rainy afternoon a score of years ago in the spacious smoking-room built on the roof of the antheum in london in the course of our wandering conversation we happened to touch on this topic the unknown origin of things well known are you aware he asked with a smile that the outflowering of tudor architecture which is one of the glories of england must be ascribed to the cultivation of the turnip by the dutch i smiled in my turn and admitted my ignorance of this fact but i can tell you i added how it is that nelson's victory at trafalgar brought about the popularity of british jams and marmalades in the united states are you aware of that no he answered let us expound our riddles to each other i besought him to begin the exposition well he said england has a damp climate as you may have noticed and that makes it the best grazing country in the world especially for sheep but until the culture of root crops was developed in holland and transplanted to england our farmers found it almost impossible to carry their sheep through the winter this was made easy for them by the introduction of the turnip whereupon there was an immediate increase in sheep raising which ultimately gave england the immensely profitable wool trade and the enriched tudor merchants like true englishmen spent their gains freely on their houses now for trafalgar and marmalade well i said nelson's defeat of the french and spanish fleets gave england thereafter the undisputed command of the sea and cut the continent off from the colonies the chief of the earlier importations from tropical countries had been sugar and the deprivation of this was so keenly felt that napoleon offered a tempting reward for a method of making sugar independent of sugar cane this was the origin of the beet sugar industry which had at first to be fostered by bounties from the government after waterloo half the countries of the continent found themselves with thousands of acres of beet fields which would go out of cultivation if sugar-cane should be allowed to compete to protect the farmers some countries including germany put a high tariff on sugar-cane and paid an export bounty on beet sugar as england was soon to be a free trade country this german bounty-fed beet sugar was in time dumped on the london market it ruined the sugar planters of jamaica and barbados but it gave the british makers of preserves their chief raw material at a price which enabled them to import oranges from spain to dundee and even strawberries from france to london and then to export wholesale to the united states their marmalades and jams i see said conway and now i'd like to ask you whether you have ever traced the defeat of the armada to martin luther no then i will enlighten you as to that when henry the eighth 
broke with the Pope. He followed Luther's example and did away with the frequent fast days. This was a sad blow to the fisher folk, but they regained a temporary prosperity under Mary, only to lose it again under Elizabeth. So it was that the experienced crews of the fishing fleet were glad to volunteer to repel the naval attack of the Spanish sovereign, and they supplied an indisputable element to the flying squadrons of the British admirals. Then it was my turn to put another question. I'd like to ask whether you have ever considered the influence of the Gulf Stream on the field sports of England, cricket and lawn tennis and football. If these sports are indulged in by multitude of young men and maidens, part of the credit must go to the ample current of warm water which flows incessantly across the Atlantic in an invisible channel of its own. As the British Isles are as far north as is Labrador on our side of the Western Ocean, they would be as desolate and as sparsely peopled as Labrador were it not for the softening effect of the Gulf Stream. Because it is nearer the Arctic, England has a longer day than France or the United States, and therefore the young men and maidens can do a day's work and still have two or three hours of daylight in which to play outdoor games. So you British had best be aware, for if we Americans are ever aroused to wrath, and if we succeed in diverting the Gulf Stream, then Great Britain will speedily descend to the sad condition of a sparsely inhabited island. Part 3 The gentle reader is now in possession of the principles and the processes of a novel sport, and he can hunt down strange, unsuspected, and remote causes whenever he is sleepless at night or bookless on a train. The game can be played by anyone, all by his lone, as a solitaire, or a half-dozen may take part, sitting in a cozy semicircle about the fire while the winter winds whirls the dry snow against the frosted windows. You may seek out the ulterior propulsion responsible for the arrival of an event which may be local or national or even international since no man's eye can follow the ever-widening circle that any word or deed may set in motion here are three sample inquiries likely to be puzzling to novice at the sport the first is very easy explain how it is that the dykes of holland were responsible for the prevalence of high stoop residents in chicago the second is not quite so simple show how it is that the invention of the cotton gin by eli whitney was a dominating factor in the adoption by the united states of a constitutional amendment prohibiting the manufacture and sale of intoxicating liquors and the third takes a wider range and demands a ramble over three continents how is it that cleveland's election was one of the reasons why the foreign legion in peking had to withstand the attack of the so-called black flags during the boxer rebellion by the aid of the dykes the dutch reclaimed a large part of their land from the sea a reclamation which required a system of canals to catch the surface water in a flat country 
having an intricate network of canals it is impossible to excavate dry cellars under the dwellings so the dutch raised the first floor of their houses that they might construct cellars above water level and this forced them to put a flight of outside steps before the front door when the sons of holland settled on manhattan island and founded new amsterdam they cut a canal into what is now broad street and in their house building they followed the fashion of their native land from new york the high stoop was borrowed by many cities in the west although these towns had dry land for their cellars and although the high stoop is not an architectural device of inherent attractiveness at the end of the eighteenth century slavery was slowly disappearing in the united states it had been abandoned in most of the northern states and in the south washington and jefferson expected its early extinction but whitney invented the cotton gin and there followed an immediate increase in the acreage in which cotton was under cultivation the southern planters decided that they could not do without slave labor and the negro was emancipated only as an incident of the civil war after the reconstruction period the black race multiplied and on the weaker members of the race liquor exerted a dangerous influence to remove the temptation with its baleful possibilities the white men of the south many of whom were not themselves abstemious voted for prohibition without the support of the solid south the constitutional amendment would have failed of ratification in cleveland's second term he sent to congress his venezuelan message which was a notification to all the world that the united states would not allow any european nation to enlarge the bounties of its possessions in south america a notification fatal to the intention of the german emperor to acquire more or less of brazil forced to look elsewhere the kaiser took advantage of the killing of several german missionaries to seize kouchu a seizure which infuriated the chinese and which moved them to the boxer rebellion culminating in an attack on the foreigners in peking what for perhaps this parlor game of unforeseen consequences may appear to the gentle reader not a little childish and i may as well confess at once that it has been anticipated by one of the most primitive of nursery tales what which explains to us the manifold reason why the old woman could not get home because the cat wouldn't eat the rat because the rat wouldn't gnaw the rope because the rope wouldn't hang the butcher because the butcher wouldn't kill the calf because the calf wouldn't drink the water because the water wouldn't quench the fire because the fire wouldn't burn the stick because the stick wouldn't beat the dog because the dog wouldn't bite the pig and because the pig wouldn't go over the stall but it is not so parole a sport as it may seem if we keep in mind always the necessary distinction between the exciting cause which may be only a triviality and the predisposing condition which is always the dominant factor what austin dobson called 
the little great the infinite small thing that ruled the hour when louis Conce was king maybe no more than the last ounce that weighs down the scales of destiny on one side or the other there is truth also in the same poet's assertion that the fan in the delicate fingers of madame de pompadour may have given the signal which resulted in the ruin of a realm ah but things more than polite hang on this toy vis-a-vis matters of state and of might things that great ministers do things that may be overthrew those in whose brains they began here was the sign and the clue this was the pompadour's fan yet it was not the flutter of the french fan which brought about the war of the austrian secession it was the selfishness of a german king as devoid of scruple as he was free from hypocrisy macaulay tells us that frederick's own words were that ambition interest the desire of making people talk about me carried the day and i decided for war and macaulay passed the verdict of history not to be reopened even by the eloquent special pleading of carlyle on the head of frederick is all the blood which was shed in a war that raged during many years and in every quarter of the globe the blood of the columns of fortinoy the blood of the mountaineers who were slaughtered at culloden in order that he might rob a neighbor whom he had promised to defend black men fought on the coast of cormandel and red men scalped each other by the great lakes of north america End of chapter